The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. I want to uh, uh, just recap just a bit what we're trying to accomplish in this series. We are working on this issue of trying to remember and reacquaint ourselves with some key things in the Bible. We started looking at the issue of creation and uh, the issue of sin in the fall and uh, all of those kinds of things that we think about with regard to the big ideas of Christianity. And today I want to continue that, looking at this issue of reverence and the fear of the Lord. Um, not a particularly cheery subject, uh, but I actually was thinking about it in light of the, uh, the, the Christmas season and the incarnation. Being confronted with this reality that Almighty God, the maker and sustainer of all things, that His only begotten Son took on flesh in miraculous form and came and lived among us to grow up and to live and then to die as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. It's an inspiring, inspiring thing to contemplate and one that should move us to awe and reverence. And while there's so much in the Christmas season that is focused on the cultural definitions of happiness and joyfulness and frivolity and celebration and festiveness and all of those kinds of things, the incarnation is a very, a very powerful reminder to us of God's incredible love and grace, but also His holiness, His righteous authority, His power. And so this morning what I want to do is think about this issue of reverence and the fear of the Lord as we think about some things we may have forgotten and reacquaint ourselves with this important biblical truth that the Lord God Almighty is to be revered. He is to be feared. He is to be respected and honored. It's important for us not to lose sight of that truth and that reality because it has implications for us as individuals with regard to our faith and our lives and the decisions that we make. It also has implications for our relationships with one another the way we talk to and think about one another, the way we treat one another. It has implications for the culture and the world around us. This idea of the fear of the Lord, of being a reverent and respectful people who honor God, is an important one. And we shouldn't lose sight of it. Well, how do we lose sight of it? Well, I don't think it's uh, that difficult to ascertain when you look at the world around us that we're becoming not only an increasingly informal culture, but in many ways a culture that is becoming more and more irreverent, or in a positive way, less and less reverent. And what are the implications of that for us as the followers of God, as the people of God? Well, they're significant. And yet when I read passages of Scripture like the one that Dr. Porcello just read for us from Exodus chapter 3, I'm struck by this reminder that in the pages of Holy Scripture, we see these encounters with God which moves people to a state of awe and respect and worship that forces them, as we sang, as Caleb and Gracie led us, to their knees to fall down before Almighty God, humbly, in an act of submission, Moses, in this passage, is so fearful of the Lord God, he's so moved to reverence and respect that he hides himself. He doesn't want to look on the face of God. He's so moved by the power and, and authority and majesty of God that he's struck to his very core. 
There's something really powerful in this passage because it it shows us about this encounter that Moses has with the Lord God, and we'll see it elsewhere in Scripture as well. But it's also fair to say that God himself expects, requires, demands this kind of fear and reverence. In fact, when Moses turns to look at the burning bush, the bush that's burning and not consumed, he's struck by that. And when God sees that he turns and looks, what does he say to him? Moses, take off your shoes for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. God recognizes his own power and authority. He he wants us to be moved to, to that kind of awe and respect and reverence. He expects it of us when we're confronted with who he is and his righteousness and holiness. But if we think about that simple biblical truth about reverence and respect, to quote the actual text, the fear of the Lord, and then we think about that overlaid on our, on our cultural sensibilities and understandings, something happens that's worth our examining. It's worth our reflection. You know, uh, we talk about it all the time in our line of work in biblical education that, that, that the times have changed, that it is true that the, the, the surveys and research that we've been watching for some time shows that, that 100 years ago or more, the average unbeliever, non-Christian, was more familiar with the Bible than most evangelical Christians are today. It is true that, that biblical references and allusions were woven into the culture in ways that were profound, in literature, in stories, in the arts, in music. In fact, uh, when I was in high school uh, and we were studying Shakespeare, I was studying Shakespeare with a, a Christian teacher in my public school, and he would often make comments about how much biblical allusion and references there are woven into Shakespeare in every play. It's just there. The Bible has definitely shaped the the understanding of the world. And we see it even in popular culture. I mean, even today, as it's waning, I think most people still get that when someone says, well, that's my cross to bear. I don't know that they connect it to Jesus Christ, but they know it's a religious reference related somehow to the crucifixion. I don't know that they consider all the gospel implications. But if someone says, don't be a Judas, most people know what that means. But we say, the handwriting's on the wall, Well, that's an Old Testament reference that used to be part of our cultural vernacular that people may or may not be more familiar with today. In some ways, what's happened over time is the Bible has been marginalized and pushed to the edges such that that what used to be assumed in general in our culture is falling away. And one of them has to do with this fearing of God. In fact, it used to be a relatively common expression that someone was a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman someone who was religious and took religion and the Lord God seriously, that their convictions and beliefs mattered in the way that they thought and spoke and lived. But the expressions God-fearing man or God-fearing woman have been all but stricken from our culture. In fact, when extolling positive attributes of those we admire, this important quality has fallen out of favor. But that can't be so for us as Christians. Because the culture around us says, well, that's an antiquated way of thinking about it, or that's a rather uh, uh, um, uh, sort of burdensome thing to put on people, that they should be God-fearing. After all, that doesn't sound very positive, does it? Years ago, I met a headmaster at a Christian school. They were making changes to the chapel because they had carved, carved into the, the overhead of the chapel, fear the Lord. And that's probably not a good marketing strategy in today's world. 
The first thing you see when you come through the door is an exhortation to fear the Lord. And yet, you and I as Christians, we can't afford to allow this idea that we are to fear the Lord God Almighty, we can't allow that to be pushed from our thinking, from our sensibilities, from our judgments as we navigate life in this world. We can't because the Scripture doesn't allow us to do so. So while those expressions may have fallen out of favor in the general culture, you and I, as people of the Holy Scripture, we have to hold to that idea, to understand it in a way that, that uh, isn't overly influenced by the culture or isn't simply a reaction to the culture, but what actually is the scriptural admonition concerning the fear of the Lord. And the teaching of Holy Scripture is that God, who is rich in grace and mercy, is also the Almighty God the maker and sustainer of all that is. And we are to be moved by his love and kindness and his authority and power as well. We don't get to pick the attributes of God that we like and, and set aside those that we don't, that we find to be an imposition. We don't get to do that. That's fundamentally inconsistent with the teaching of Scripture, to pick and choose the things about God that we like or that resonate with us. And yet, that's what happens to us when we find ourselves living in a world that, that, that is struggling with this idea of, of respect and honor and reverence. That the world around us shifts and it begins to influence our own thinking as Christians. But we know the Bible's teaching is clear regarding this, at the end of the uh, 28th chapter of the book of Job, as Job is discussing this issue of where is wisdom, this man who is suffering greatly, he's lost more than most of us could ever conceive of losing. He's lost his family. He's lost his livelihood. He's lost his reputation. And his friends are... are, are, are beating upon him that something must be wrong in his life. And Job's trying to ascertain what wisdom is. And he says in chapter 28, beginning at 23, God understands the way to wisdom and he knows its place for he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. And when he gave wind to the weight and he apportioned the waters by measure and he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and he declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man... Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. This is the language of the Scripture. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible clearly teaches that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So navigating life in this world requires acknowledgement of God's authority, His power, His holiness. He requires respect and reverence submission, and sobriety if we're to live well and in a manner that is pleasing to God. This is what we read about Job in the beginning of the book. In fact, in the beginning of the book, we read this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. These attributes hang together. They're inextricably linked to one another. If we fear God, then we have a good chance of understanding what it is to walk rightly before Him. But if we're dismissive of His power and authority, if we're dismissive of His holiness, if we're dismissive of His judgments, 
then what, what chance is there of striving to live a life that is pleasing to Him? It's a breakdown. Those things are tied together. Even in Proverbs, we see the connection between the issue of wisdom and uprightness and folly and wickedness. The Bible also clearly teaches that God is to be taken seriously by us in our following Him, in our worship and service. If you just think about this, from the Ten Commandments to Jesus turning over the tables at the temple to Ananias and Sapphira, we see in Holy Scripture that God will not be mocked. We can't choose in our day of wanting to find a softer, more relatable God in Jesus to overlook and forget the fact that He is a righteous God who has a very clear set of expectations and requirements for us. And He wants us to live loving Him, knowing Him, following Him, serving Him, as those who also respect and revere Him. The Bible's full of examples where God expects us to take Him seriously. In the passage that was read for us, where God instructs Moses, God Himself instructs Moses to remove His sandals on that holy ground. Think about this. Moses is God's man. He's going to have an unprecedented relationship with the Almighty. But he is not exempt from showing reverence. Moses' relationship with God will be singled out in the book of Hebrews. It's an unprecedented relationship. But there's no assumption of equality. There's no assumption of sort of looseness and sloppiness about the relationship. There's no assumption on Moses' part that he'll presume upon God anything. God says to him, take off your shoes, and Moses does so and hides his face. He's moved to a level of respect and reverence that's really powerful to think about in that passage. When I think about this issue, I think that there are some things you and I need to be careful about. We must be careful to not allow the context in which we live to define the fear of the Lord or undermine the value of it. Reverence and respect are due Him regardless of whether the world considers these attributes valuable or commendable. We find ourselves in this context where there's the thought that why would you love and follow and serve a God who expects to be feared? Well, one of the things is we're completely wrong about what we think about fear. We think about fear in the context of modern horror movies where someone's walking through a dark alley and you know a cat's coming out of that trash can and everybody loses it and panics in their heart rate. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about be, being afraid of the Lord in terms of being scared that He's going to do something sort of harsh and hurtful. It's a move towards reverence and respect and awe. A healthy fear that says He is Almighty God and He is not to be taken lightly. Not to be taken lightly. That kind of reverence is connected to faith. Can you imagine for Moses who's Who's, who's confronted with the Lord at the burning bush, he, he, he receives from the Lord the tablets, and by the time he gets back, the children of Israel are already neck deep in idolatry. Their faith has been broken, but so too has their respect and reverence for God. These are tied together. And obedience is tied to those things. 
So when the Scripture teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, there's an inextricable link between wisdom and respect and reverence. If we're going to be serious about God, it will affect the way we think and live and talk, the way we act in this world. And if we're dismissive of it, then likewise, we're going to have problems. But if we allow the world to say for us, in this context where we find ourselves saying, anything that makes you feel afraid, anything that makes you feel like you're you're being taken advantage of, anything that makes you feel like you're being put upon is wrong, that cannot be applied to God, almighty, righteous, holy God, the same way you would apply it to sinful human beings who might exploit you or harm you. For God is perfect. Perfect in the way he loves us and cares for us perfect in the way he judges us, perfect in the way he sets down expectations for us. Don't allow the world sort of thinking about fear that this is a a bad thing that you shouldn't do to allow that to somehow transfer over to your view of God that somehow leads you to be less than respectful and less than reverent and less than living a life that takes him seriously. Be careful about that. It's a battle that we're engaged in all the time. Because the the sensibilities and the judgments of the world in which we find ourselves are often counter to the very clear teaching in Scripture. We have to be willing to go against the grain in this respect and not allow our judgments to be affected subtly and perniciously, but be thoughtful and intentional. When I think about this issue of respect and reverence, as as someone who has studied social sciences and all of those disciplines, There's significant impact in in the way that we live our life together in society, not just in Christian community. And when that's going on out there, it can be somewhat problematic for us inside the church. Think about this. I, I, I am convinced that the undermining of respect and reverence in general can lead us to show that same disrespect and irreverence to God. Likewise, failing to revere and respect God can lead us to disregard the appropriateness of it and the need for it in every other area of life. It's this dynamic relationship between these two things. If we allow sort of the cultural preoccupation with being disrespectful and and irreverent, it will affect our view of God. And if we don't view God properly, it will affect our view of humanity. And that's the mess we find ourselves in as sinful creatures. But for you and I, who are bought with the blood of Jesus, who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who are committed to living a, a crucified life in obedience to Scripture, where we have this clear teaching, where God is at work in us, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure as the scripture promises you and i should be thinking about this differently and it should have an impact on the way we think and the way we act and the way we treat one another if in an irreverent culture we find ourselves losing a posture of reverence we should be very concerned losing this posture of reverence respect and a proper fear of the lord has implications for our own personal faith and relationship with him, as well as our relationships with others. An irreverent and disrespectful people will show themselves to be foolish and tear at one another in destructive ways. When I think about this link in Proverbs and in the book of Job, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, 
I think when I was a new Christian, it didn't really make sense to me. I wasn't really thinking about it. I thought, well, okay, you take God seriously, and then He will make you wise. Actually, what's happening here is if you don't start with a right and proper view of God and a right and proper posture towards Him, everything else downstream of it will be askew. If you are someone who is predisposed to irreverence and disrespect, why in the world would you guard your speech? You don't have to guard it towards God. Why would you guard it towards your fellow human beings? When the Proverbs say that a kind word turns away wrath, right? it's, it's a wise act. It's an important way to think about your speech towards one another, your expressions towards one another. But if you don't respect God, what would be the point of doing that except to make yourself feel better or to gain social points? But likewise, if you have a right view of God, then it should lead you to conclude that you should be careful about the things you say to God and the things you say to one another. But we live in a culture that says, if you feel it, just say it. It's not about entering into a dialogue where we might disagree. If you want to kick somebody in the shins verbally, kick them in the shins. What's the harm in putting out a meme that disrespects or dishonors someone? It's just a meme. Would you do that to God? Then why would you do it to one made in His image and likeness? We must take, take seriously this admonition that if we view God rightly, it should have an impact in our judgments socially and personally and relationally. And my concern is, if we reverse engineer it over here and we say, no, we're a Christian people that loves to beat up on one another and to, and to derogate one another and to deride one another and to ridicule one another and to criticize one another harshly, to make accusations and to treat one another in, in, a, in a disrespectful way. If I reverse engineer that, I'd say, how in the world could you be one who fears and respects and honors and reveres God? There is a line drawn between these things in Scripture, and we shouldn't overlook it. There are things that happen in our midst as a community. Even here, decisions that are made, changes that occur, disagreements that arise. We should be able to talk about those things in a way that is respectful, in a way that recognizes that we are the followers of an Almighty God who demands of us respect and reverence. It should affect the way we think and the way we speak and the way we act. And if we're not behaving in a way consistent with Scripture, then we should walk through that thread to see if, in fact, we are, as the Apostle Paul was accused of doing on the road to Damascus, kicking against the goads, refusing to submit ourselves to Almighty God in a way that is humble and respectful and reverent. These things are, are clear in my mind, the line between them. A right view of God, the manifestation of reverence and respect, can enliven us, enlarge our understanding of the Almighty, and guide us into wisdom, transform our walk and our worship and our service, as well as our relationships with others on this earth. The fear of the Lord does not need to be a repressive or oppressive or imposition on us. It doesn't need to be that. It actually is something that should enliven us and, and elevate our vision and elevate our, our expectations for ourselves and for others. It has a transformational quality to it. 
It did with Moses when he was confronted by the voice of God at the burning bush. It is that kind of movement to awe that should characterize our worship of God. When we contemplate who He is and all that that is profound and right in that, it should stir us and move us to love and respect Him all the more. And we shouldn't let the sensibilities of our day and the world around us that is irreverent and disrespectful erode our reverence and respect for God and one another. The fear of the Lord may seem like an outdated truth. One that is counter to the prevailing culture in which we find ourselves. But we cannot afford to forget it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and grace, for your mercies which are new every morning. We thank you for this season when we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in the love and grace and mercy that you have shown to us in sending him to dwell among us. We thank you for the sacrifice that was made for our benefit and on our behalf. We thank you for the gifts of redemption and forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life that is ours in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you would strengthen our faith in his atoning sacrifice. That you would strengthen our faith in the indwelling spirit which is at work in us. That you would use your word to strengthen our faith that we might follow you wholeheartedly. That we may seek to desire you with all of our minds and hearts and souls. We pray, Father, that you would give us the kind of grace that will make us humble before you, that you will move us to respect and reverence, that it would transform our walk with you and our service to you, and that it would have an impact on the way we think and treat one another. Father, in all of this, we ask that you would Embolden us to hold to the truths of your word no matter what is going on around us. That in the day in which we live when there is an assault on the very notion of objective, knowable truth, we as your people who are committed to following you and to following the teachings of the Bible might not give way to that. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Christ. Amen.